The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Olivia, before we get started, this is an interesting evening. For folks who are listening at home, we sat down to record. You may know that Olivia is in New Orleans and I'm in Nashville, so we record over Zoom where we can see each other and talk to each other. And Olivia's screen on her computer just decided to stop working. (laughs) So let's just add this. Olivia's new computer screen just quit working. I don't even think this computer's three months old, John. Maybe four, maybe more. I don't know. Yeah. Not that old. Not great. The good news is I can still see Olivia. She cannot see me. So I am currently recording with no clothes on, super comfortable. (laughs) Just kidding. And I'm just waiting for my screen to turn back on. Yeah. I have a beautiful neon yellow streak right down the middle. And then, you know, some black sides over here. Glad you can see me though. How mortified would you be if your screen just kicked back on? It's just no <laughs> shirt leaning back. I would lose it. I would literally die over here. <laughs> but on my true crime podcast. The good news is nothing disconnected. So we still have Olivia's mic. We're still connected. We can still record uh the episode today. So bear with us. And uh if you like what we do, please subscribe to the Patreon because I think we're gonna need a uh I'm gonna need a new computer, y'all. And I'm expensive. Just kidding. No. I'm just a Mac girl. I can't help it. Give me a Chromebook something. 
Right. I just need something. And you know what the kicker is, is I had a little, little computer thing that I bought for work that was like an HP, but I just, I'm, I'm a MacBook girl. I'm a Mac. I just, that's how my brain works. And so I sold it on Marketplace. I knew I would need it one day. That's okay. We're going to make it work. The cool thing about Zoom is like, even if I had you dial in by your phone with some like ear pods or something, may not sound the best, but we can still get stuff done. I'm just happy that we're still able to do this. We're going to make it work because damn it, we're not missing an episode for our listeners. But the bright side of this is after we record these episodes, you are leaving on vacation. So we just got to make it through. Are you excited? How are you doing? I am excited. I mean, I'm flying into Tampa and y'all know that Idalia just hit Florida. So it was not sure if we were actually going to get to go or not, but we got the go ahead green light. So we're going to go spend some time in Venice and do some fossil diving. That'll be very cool. And I'm sure you're excited. And we are recording this episode on Thursday. So I know that Idalia hit yesterday. And if you, you know, listen to this podcast and you were in the path of that hurricane, we're just hoping that you're safe and sound and staying dry and everybody is good. But yes, because I know what it's like to evacuate and leave your home. It's scary. It's crazy. My sister in Michigan, they just had a tornado hit and uprooted this giant palm or palm tree. Palm tree, Michigan, uprooted a giant pine tree in their front yard and dropped it, tore up all their fence. I mean, it's just seems like crazy weather stuff is happening all over. Global warming. It's a thing. Cancel yep. culture. But it's still. Cancel me because I think global warming is a thing. <laughs> it still snows, Olivia, in the wintertime. <laughs> but the polar bears are suffering because the ice cubes are not very thick. The polar bears big. have Hawaiian t-shirts on and they're drinking Mai Tais. <laughs> drinking Coca-Cola. <laughs> Jack and Coke. Well, Olivia, with all of the technical issues that we are having, just to make sure we're getting through the episode, what do you say? Should we jump on in? Have you got a chance to look at my notes? Anything look familiar? Or are you coming in blind? I'm coming in blind. I opened them and, you know, started to scroll and the blackout happened. The great blackout of 2023. It's the full moon, man. No, <laughs> Mercury's in retrograde. Mercury's in Gatorade and my computer won't work. <laughs> Okay, John, just get to, let's just talk about your case. I will. Oh, real quick though. I did want to tell you this. So today I went to the gas station Yeah. and I saw a display case of new Mountain Dew flavors. And my mm-hmm. first thought in my head was I could commit so many crimes. <laughs> just, <laughs> <laughs> so just pour it all over you. Get yes. rid of your DNA. Yeah. So that case has definitely stuck with me. So, but yeah, let's talk about this week. So this week we are headed to Lancaster, Pennsylvania in 1992. Christy Marac was a 25-year-old sixth-grade teacher at Roerson Elementary School. But she wasn't your average run-of-the-mill educator. To Christy, teaching wasn't a profession. It was a passion. In fact, then-principal Harry Goodman said she wasn't just satisfied with being a good teacher. She wanted to be a great teacher. She was creative, and she had the kids motivated. They were captivated. Some people would drag themselves into work. Christy didn't look at this as work. And friends describe Christy in the same way. She was outgoing and fun, and she would regularly go out dancing with friends from college. But everything changed on December 21st, 1992. And before we go forward, Olivia, I wanted to ask you, do you remember having any teachers like that? Like a teacher from when you were younger that's just kind of always stuck with you? Oh, yeah. I have a lot of teachers like that. I feel like my education, I went through some really cool and fun, engaging teachers. Like, I think I got a good education. Shout out to the South Bossier family. 
Yeah, for me, I had, I will never forget, it was Erin Wenrick. She was my fifth grade teacher. And mm-hmm. she was just, you know, we would build spaceships and you have to put an egg in it and drop it from the roof to, you know, see if you could essentially do this egg drop and not have the egg break. And she was always doing really cool stuff. Any teachers that I have that I remember like that were always in elementary school. I don't know what it is, but like in high school, it just felt like all my teachers were super jaded like like in elementary they're like oh these kids are gonna grow up to be something and and then you get to high school and you're like oh these kids just suck you know what i mean so right, right, right. <laughs> yeah now christy always arrived at the elementary school before 8 a.m but on this morning that was not the case and when she hadn't arrived by 8 30 concerns started to grow as students began to come into the building principal goodman called christy's apartment repeatedly but he got no answer He also tried to contact family, but he was not able to track down the missing teacher. And it was then that he decided he would drive over to her apartment and check on her. Now, Goodman was sure that he would cross paths with the teacher on the way. So remember, this is December. We're really close to Christmas. He was thinking that maybe she had some car problems or, you know, got stuck in the snow, something of that nature. But Goodman never saw Christy on the side of the road. He reached her apartment just after 9 a.m., and when he got there, he noticed that her car was still in the parking lot. As he approached the door, he noticed that it was ajar, and worry set in. Principal Goodman called out, Christy, 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 but there was no answer. And as he entered the apartment, nothing could prepare him for what he would find. As Goodman slowly opened the door, he discovered Christy Merak dead on the floor. She was still wearing her coat and gloves, and wrapped Christmas gifts for her students were thrown about the apartment. Goodman immediately rushed to a neighbor's home and called 911, and investigators arrived shortly after. Now, Christy had been violently attacked, and they determined that it had happened as she was preparing to leave for school. She had been beaten severely, her jaw was broken, and it would later be determined that she had been strangled and raped. As they continued their investigation, detectives found scuff marks on the floor. Additionally, a cutting board was found in the living room. Authorities believe that Christy Merak may have used it to try to fight off her attacker. And as the police worked to narrow in on suspects, the community was heartbroken, especially Christy's peers in the teaching world. To them, it was as if they had lost a family member. Now, investigators first spoke to Principal Goodman, but he was quickly and easily cleared as a suspect. Detectives then began looking into Christy's personal life. They knew their suspect was bold, as most killers wouldn't attack in daylight, but they still didn't know who would want Christy dead. And I don't know about you, but as I was going through this and hearing the story and just having this image of my head of this teacher who just cared about what she does so much, and she's getting ready for the day, she's got her winter coat on, her gloves, she's you know holding Christmas gifts that she's bringing in for students, and then to open the door and just be attacked. It's just heartbreaking and it's terrifying. And I you know, was just wondering what you were thinking as we were going through. I mean, I'm just thinking about my sister's a teacher. This could be anybody, you know? I mean, I say that now because I don't know who the murderer is, but like my sister was a fifth grade teacher forever. Now she's a librarian, but like anybody can attack anybody these days. It's sad, you know, because they're getting ready for their day and they probably have no idea what's waiting on the other side of that door. Yeah, you know? it's like she was just going out probably the last day of the school before Christmas break or winter break. And it's terrifying. Yeah. It's just the idea of like the unknown. And it's an, just another morning, you yeah. know, just going to work. I get up. I do my routine. I'm getting ready to walk out the door, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Well, as they interviewed friends and family, detectives learned that Christy had recently begun dating a man, but the people who knew her only knew his nickname, Dagger. They also learned that Dagger was the president of the local Teamsters. Friends told detectives that they didn't know much about him. However, they did note that he was in no hurry to get married. In fact, just two days before her murder, Christy told friends that she was ending the relationship. And not to jump ahead or anything like that, but when I heard that a guy she was seeing was named Dagger, I was like, oh, well, he's probably the guy, right? Like his name is Dagger. 100%. But can I ask a silly question? What is Teamsters? No, that's not a silly question at all. I think I might have a little bit of a better knowledge of it being from Michigan, but the Teamsters are America's largest, most diverse union. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. In 1903, the Teamsters started as a merger between two leading team driver associations. They were known as the champion of freight drivers and warehouse workers, but they've organized workers in virtually every occupation imaginable, both professional and non-professional, private sector, public sector. In Michigan, it's a big deal, uh, you know, because of the automotive industry that, that was there mm-hmm. for, you know, it's not there in the same way that it was before, but but in 92, it was huge. Yeah, 50s, 60s, 70s. I mean, people came from the South all over the country to work, you know, for Ford and Chevy. Also, Jimmy Hoffa, I don't know if you're familiar with Jimmy Hoffa, but he is somebody who just went missing. He was a, a member of the Teamsters. He went missing. He's been missing for almost 50 years now. And every couple of years in Michigan, it'll be like, we're digging up somebody's backyard in Southeast Detroit because we got a tip that that's where Jimmy Hoffa was buried. Also, fun fact about me, my mom is adopted. And so my sister recently started doing like DNA. Uh Yep. 23 and me and all that. And we actually found out that I believe it was one of my grandparents. And I would have to like talk to her to. Are you a Ford? Get the no, I wish <laughs> if I was a Ford, I'd be like, Don't worry about your computer, sweetheart. I'll send you a new one. <laughs> um, but he was a teamster and he was found shot dead in a parking lot, uh, outside of a, like a teamster popular restaurant. So, like back in the day, the people who ran the teamsters, there was a lot of shady mafia like things going on. Mm-hmm. So, kind of what I was thinking. I'm like, They sound like mobsters, yes, teamsters and mobsters. Okay, yeah. So Dagger was the president of his local Teamsters union. Okay. I also feel like Dagger is, makes him just get sound guilty. It does, right? It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, well, it's got to be the dude that's named uh, after a same. knife. All right, we'll keep going. Well, things got even stranger when a mysterious man showed up at Roriston Elementary just two days after the murder. He was holding a bouquet of flowers and looking for Christy. And when he was stopped by a teacher at the school, the man claimed to have not known about Christie's death. Later, this man would be confirmed to be Dagger. However, the police learned that during the time of the murder, Dagger was actually hundreds of miles away in the state of Virginia with his wife. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So, I mean, probably a pretty good reason that he wasn't in a hurry to get married. Yeah, because he was already married. <laughs> yeah. Can't be married to two. Well, they're sister wives. Is that not legal wherever they live? I don't know if that's like an actual legal binding, marriage. Legal binding marriage. Or if it's just like, hey, you three ladies are my wives. Let's. Right, right, right. I don't, you know, I don't know. Make me dinner. Take care of the kids. You know, like it's weird. That's a weird dynamic. Also, as someone who's married, I only need one. I only need one wife. <laughs> so 
I don't know why anybody would want more than one. One's enough. I don't know why any woman would want two husbands. It's not like it only goes one way. Yeah. No, one's enough. One's plenty. Now, even though he had an alibi, he agreed to submit a DNA sample, and it was determined that Dagger was, in fact, not the killer. But police continued digging to see if maybe Dagger had hired someone to kill the teacher. But again, nothing. At this point, investigators were at a dead end, and the only other piece of information they had was that a neighbor had reported seeing a white car outside on the day that Christy had died. But without a license plate or any other information, no other suspects could be found. And over time, the case went cold. Now, detectives were obviously frustrated. They originally had several viable suspects, but one by one, they were cleared. Weeks went by, then months then years, and police still had no leads. Now, in 2007, 15 years after Christy Murak's murder, her brother Vince decided to act. He rented a billboard right off of a Lancaster highway, and Vince hoped that by keeping the case alive, someone may come forward with a new piece of information. However, even after the billboard, there were still no updates in the case. But in 2015, things would begin to change. At this point, it had been 23 years since Christy Murak had been murdered, and Lancaster District Attorney Craig Stedman's office took over the case. Now, we've talked about this before, but between 1992 and 2015, there had been huge advancements in DNA testing, and the district attorney hoped that reexamining the evidence in the case may finally lead authorities to a suspect. When detectives originally investigated the scene, they found the suspected killer's DNA on the carpet and on Christie's body. Using those samples, the authorities reached out to a company with a unique technique called Parabon Nanolabs. And for good reason. Parabon had the ability to generate a sketch of what a person may look like using a DNA sample. And I don't know about you, I've never heard of this before, but apparently they can use that DNA and like, essentially render what hair color this person would have, what their facial features would look like. And I believe they can age it up and down as well, which is really crazy. That's wild. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never heard anything like that. So I was like, oh man, Mm -hmm. this must've been, especially at the time, this must've been like pretty cutting edge. Right. A big deal. Especially if this is about to solve a murder. Yeah. And they are definitely going to come back as we go through the story. But in 2017, that sketch that they made was released to the public. Now, initially, the authorities were hopeful because the sketch actually generated several tips. However, none of those tips ended up panning out, and police were yet again at a dead end. But then something would happen. Investigators would meet CeCe Moore. Are you familiar with CeCe Moore at all? No, should I be? So I had heard her name mentioned. And we'll talk a little bit about it here in just a minute. But Cece Moore was actually a former actor and singer, but she had become well known for her use of familial genealogy. She didn't have any degree or scientific background, but she became really invested in the process when she was trying to research her own family tree. In fact, she had received international recognition for her unique techniques. Additionally, California authorities used those same techniques to help identify and arrest the Golden State Killer. So that's where I should know who she is. But you know, I don't really know a whole, I don't really know the Golden State Killer. Oh my gosh. I know. So this is what we, I think we should do a special episode. We'll watch I'll Be Gone in the Dark and then we'll 
talk about it because I'll be gone in the dark is all about golden state killer. It's all about Michelle McNamara, who's a true crime writer and did a lot of work on podcast. You've probably seen her. If you watch like the ID channel, McNamara sounds familiar. She was always being interviewed and things like that. It's, it's a crazy story. So we might have to do something special around that. Cause it is, that's one of those stories that I've tried to stay away from doing the podcast because it is so like big and well-known, but if you're not mm-hmm. familiar with her, we like, we might have to dive into it. I mean, I've heard of it and I know that I should know it, but I've never watched anything about it or read about it. Well, heads up. It is terrifying. It is. It's Great. Yeah. You'll be laying in bed with your eyes open, like listening for any sound. Then I'm not going to watch it alone. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't. So, I mean, I did, but I'm also not, you know, single woman. So. Okay. Great. Enough said. Yeah. But yeah, I think we should do it. Yeah. Watch it tonight before bed. No big deal. Yeah. No big deal. Now, when the Lancaster district attorney learned about those techniques, he was anxious to deploy those same methods in Christie's case. And in May 2018, Parabon and CeCe Moore partnered together to turn the DNA samples collected at the crime scene into a data file. They then uploaded that file to GEDmatch.com. And we've talked about them before, Olivia. I'm not sure if it's ringing any bells. Yeah, I can't remember what case that was, but I do remember us talking about this. Yeah, so we actually talked about that when we were talking about the Idaho college murders. They used That's right. Yeah, they used GED match to build the profile for Brian Koberger. And I'm pretty sure we've talked about it before on different episodes as well, but that's one of the sites they use instead of like 23andMe, Ancestry or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I remember that now. Now, we've talked about it on the show before, but for those who may be unfamiliar, GEDmatch.com is a public genealogy database designed to find genetically linked family members. So once they uploaded the file, it would start pulling anyone who may you know, possibly be related to that DNA sample. And finally, the police caught a break. The sample actually matched to several of the suspect's distant relatives, and they immediately began to build out their potential killer's family tree. Starting with great-grandparents and moving forward, Moore was eventually able to narrow it down to a single family in Lancaster. They were of European descent, but also had some Puerto Rican heritage, and Moore continued to dig. She spent hours pouring through newspaper archives, hoping to find any mention of the family name. And while researching, she finally stumbled upon a break, an engagement announcement, including a man with the same name. She then found an interview from an online magazine with that same man. And in this interview, he talked about his love of cooking Puerto Rican food because of his heritage. And it was then that Moore knew she had found their suspect. 26 years had passed since Christy Morak's death. And within just a few days, CeCe Moore was able to provide the police with the name of their suspect. But to be sure, detectives needed to collect a DNA sample. So they began to devise a plan. An undercover unit was tasked with tailing the suspect. And during their surveillance, they were able to collect a discarded water bottle as well as some chewing gum. Authorities immediately sent the collected evidence to the lab to be tested. And when compared to the DNA found at the scene of Christy Morak's murder, it was a perfect match. And on June 25th, 2018, police arrested 49-year-old Raymond Charles Rowe for the murder of Christy Morak. 
So again, very similar to like the Coburger case where they tailed him. They had to wait for him to drop something that they could potentially lift DNA from. But it's just crazy to me how you can build out these whole family trees. That's why I'm saying. If you ever want to commit a crime, make sure none of your family members are on like 23 and me or any of that because you're definitely screwed. Yep. I, I'm just I'm fascinated by these. I love that these cases we're getting so many where they're just getting solved so many decades later because of this. I mean, just spitting out your gum and throwing out a water bottle got him busted. You know, yeah. he probably thought, never thought he'd get caught. Yeah, but you know that I love these cases. I love the cases where, you know, police are up against the wall and just something happens and, and they can't catch a break, but they keep working it. They keep working it. And years later, because they're persistent, they finally get the guy or the woman, yeah. you know, and yeah. and we'll talk a little bit about it at the end of the episode. But, you know, these are the kind of cases that really draw me in. So I was glad to stumble upon it and kind of go through it. But should we talk a little bit about who the suspect is? Yeah, we need to t- find out who this guy is. For sure. Well, Roe was actually a popular wedding DJ and business owner in the area. And most people in the community knew him as DJ Freeze. He was a father with a few failed marriages under his belt. Roe also attended church regularly and had been popular in the Lancaster area since he was a teen. When he was younger, he had started his career as a break dancer. And by the late 90s, he had become the house DJ at Lancaster's Chameleon Club. Now, apparently, the Chameleon Club is actually a nationally renowned live music venue. So, him being the head DJ there was a pretty big deal. And obviously when Raymond Charles Rowe was arrested, the community was in shock. I mean, this man had been involved in some of the residents happiest moments. Rowe DJed their weddings, their anniversary parties, their high school dances. And additionally, he had no real criminal record other than a disorderly conduct charge for playing music too loudly one evening. But even those charges were dropped. So as I was researching this case, I was kind of like, this is the last person that I would think would be my suspect, you know? Yeah. I mean, this seems like this is probably a pretty small town and he's very involved with everyone and you're trusting this person. People trust this man, but I still don't understand why the local DJ would, and someone who's well known, even at that point would want to kill her. Well, and detectives actually had the same challenge, right? They had to find the connection between this well-liked man in the community and Christy Marac. So detectives learned that Roe's day job had been close to Chrissy's apartment, and they believed that the attack on Marak was actually targeted. They theorized that Roe had met Christy Marak at an event around the time of the murder, and they believed that Christy may have denied his advances, which set Roe on a murderous path. And the police actually had evidence to back up this theory. A Chameleon Club pass was found in Marak's apartment on the day that she was murdered. Now, the district attorney believed that they had a strong enough case to pursue the death penalty. But in January of 2019, Raymond Charles Rowe would plead guilty to the murder of Christy Marak. And with this plea, the death penalty was taken off the table. In the courtroom, Rowe addressed his victim's family saying, I can't imagine what you're going through. I apologize. Rowe, who was 50 years old at the time, was sentenced to 60 to 120 years without the possibility of parole. And with that, it seemed like the Marac family may finally have gotten some peace. But two years later, Rowe's story changed. He claimed that he had lied when he confessed to Christie's murder. And with that, he was back in court in September of 2021. 
When the district attorney asked why the court should believe a liar, Roe claimed that he had been forced to do things by threat and treatment. Roe also argued that the public defenders in the case were ineffective and didn't present a proper defense. Additionally, he requested for extra items found at the crime scene to be tested for DNA. This included the cutting board that was found, a toaster, and Christie's sweater. But finally, in April of this year, the Superior Court of Pennsylvania affirmed the denial of Raymond Rowe's motion to have additional evidence from the 1992 rape and murder tested for DNA. And with that, Rowe is continuing to serve his sentence at the SCI Waymart in Pennsylvania's Wayne County. Now, Christy Marak was taken from this world much too soon. But for the people and students who knew her, Christy's memory will live on forever. In fact, one student of Christy's at the time, Anita Denlinger, was so inspired by her time as a Marak student that she grew up to be an educator herself. Anita even taught sixth grade at Roriston Elementary for seven years before getting married and moving to Florida. And while Christy's ability to influence the lives of more children was cut short, those who were touched by her caring and passionate personality were forever changed. And Olivia, that's this week's case. Talk to me. What are you thinking? Where's your head at? What you got? This was just a sad case. And I still just don't have the reason as to why he killed her. You know, like I just, I need to know why. Yeah. And unfortunately with the plea deal, you know, I don't know if we're ever going to know exactly what happened, but it seems like really what we have to go on is that theory from the police where, you know, she liked to go out dancing. She was in the chameleon club, met him. He probably made a, you know, move on her or advanced on her and she turned him, you know, turned him down or declined. And something about that just kind of was like, he wasn't having it, you know? And it's just sad because I mean, that's the only link that could be between them because she had that chameleon club pass in her apartment, you know, but it's just, if that really is the reason why like being rejected, you know, by a woman and, or a man that you're hitting on or whatever is definitely no reason to go down that path, you know? Yeah. Well, he made it like 30, almost 30 years or around 30 years to be a free man and still just be in such a small community. And I don't know, that's, I just don't like that. How, how you can be in a small town and someone can do something to a kind human, you know? She wasn't causing any trouble. She was educating the kids in that community. And I don't know, it's just devastating, but I'm glad that the family actually got some closure. Yeah, it's just crazy to think that in December of this year, it'll be 31 years, you know, from the time the murder happened to his request for that additional DNA being tested, being denied. Like we're looking at three decades. So to imagine being her parents or her brother or her friend, you know, and then when you find out it is somebody is like somebody that, you know, you've probably been to an event with this person, you know, also mm-hmm. the other thing, I don't know if, if this is something that crossed your mind, but like, I do not understand how somebody can walk around with that kind of secret and not tell anybody and, or function as a human being, human being. I don't know. They're not right. They're not right. They killed somebody. They're not right. Right. I think I've told you this in private before, but I'm a stress eater. So if I get stressed out, my first thing is like, I'm going to go to McDonald's. Like I just, I like, I, that's my comfort thing. And mm-hmm. what I will do is I like, you know, my wife and I will get into a fight and I will leave and go get McDonald's and I'll come back and I'll eat it in the car and then I'll throw it in the outside garbage. Cause I'm like, nobody needs to know what I'm eating anyway. You know, and I'll, I'll throw it in the trash. 
And I'm the next morning immediately. I'm like, I went to McDonald's last night and I threw it in the outside garbage because I like the, <laughs> it's like the guilt. So the perks of being single, I can just eat my Taco Bell throat in my inside trash and no one's no here one to judge me. <laughs> but it's, you know, it, but it comes from a place of like, she loves me and wants me to be healthy. Right. And that's not like a healthy coping yeah. mechanism. Right. But like, I have that kind of guilt over that. So to think about someone who has like murdered someone and then you're walking around every day being like, is today the day that I get caught? Right. You think you would just like go crazy and just act odd. I feel like that's how some people get caught when they just fly off the handles. It just makes me wonder, like, did he have remorse for what he did? Like, was there Surely. any guilt, you know, because I, I couldn't function. Me either. I feel bad when I just like kill a bug or something. Nah, don't come into my house. Or when you almost hit a squirrel or if a bird flies under your car and you feel like, oh, I just killed that poor little bird, but they somehow make it through. I don't know. Or this cat that's meowing that I'm about to murder. Well, my mom, when she first got her driver's license, she was driving and she hit a squirrel and she called the police on herself. She was like, I hit a squirrel. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, it's fine. It's a squirrel. <laughs> it's a squirrel. But, oh, I hate when the little squirrels like bounce off your tire. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know how he survived. He made it. Well, they survived the other side of the road. Who knows what happened after that? That's true. I still, I've been carrying that squirrel secret around for 31 years. So it's like, <laughs> but, you know, if we're talking deadbolt test, where does something like this land for you? Because as I was going through, I was like, there is some stuff here that I think might hit a little personally to Olivia. And so I'm very interested to see where it falls. What, that I'm a single gal who likes to go dancing with her friends? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. It's definitely not that you're a teacher. So. <laughs> Technically, I'm an instructor. <laughs> that is true. You got me on the caveat. I'm sorry. Um, no, I think this one, you know, these these single women, it's a scary world out there for us. You know, we just got to be smart and check the locks and look both ways and, you know, be real mindful of who we trust. I, I, I'm putting it at a seven. That makes sense to me. You know, I think for me coming in and looking at it, this is probably going to be a five. And I think the reason for that is like, I'm not somebody who's going to, I'm not just not a hugely social person. I think doing this podcast and hanging out with a, like a handful of friends is about as social as I get. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're not going to catch me in the club on, uh, on Broadway, you know, doing my you're thing. You're not going to catch me in the club either. But I think it's what I was talking to you about earlier in the episode where it's you wake up, get in the shower, you brush your teeth, put your clothes on. You're doing the same thing for like the millionth time in a row, you know, and you're just about to walk out of the house and just one day something terrible happens when you least expect it. You know what I mean? Like you think about things when you're walking through a parking garage at night and it's dark, you're, you're like, okay, Hey, like, let me make sure I'm on the lookout. Right. Like if you're, See, you know, I feel like I live like that all the time. Like I feel like I'm always look on the lookout. Like I'm always on the lookout. Yeah. It's so just I feel like it's going to protect me. Hopefully knock on wood. You know, and I'm like that too, where it's like at home, like my door, even if I'm home, my doors are always locked, you know, security alarm is set all that. You know what I mean? But like when I get up in the morning, also maybe it's cause I work from home and I don't go anywhere, but like I get up every morning, like I give Millie a hug and kiss Kara takes her to school. So it's just this idea of what becomes so routine and so unassuming and feels so safe. Yeah can turn on you. So I think for me, you know, that's where I'm going to, I'll put it at a five. Uh, I don't think I'm likely to be in, in the same situation, but it's the idea behind it that really like gets under my skin a little bit. 
Yeah, well, it was a good case. Well, I was hoping that you would like it, that you would find it interesting. But of course, we have to throw it over to the locksmiths. That's where we're falling on the dead bull test. Olivia's putting this at a seven. I'm coming in at a five, but we want to know where does the murder of Chrissy Marac fall on your dead bull test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram and check the locks pod. Find us on Twitter at check the locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, what are you doing? Come hang out with us. We would love to get to know you, Olivia. Again, you know, this case just kind of got under my skin in a way that, you know, not a lot of cases do. I need a little bit of a palate cleanser. Do you have a five-star review for us to read this week? This week's five-star review, well, it's actually, I think it's supposed to be a five-star review. It only has one star clicked, but it's a really sweet and kind review. So I'm going to read it anyways, but it comes from Casey Face. And they said, love, love, love this podcast. I started listening after watching Olivia on Maths, and I can't stop listening. I truly look forward to driving to and from work now so that I can dive into the episodes. Now back to the stabby stabby. So Casey Face, I think this is supposed to be a five-star review, but thanks for leaving us a review. Yes, Casey Face, thank you so much. We really do appreciate it. I saw that one come in and I was like, either she doesn't like us, but wants to give us compliments or it was a one star that's supposed to be a five. Either way, the kindness that you show in that review and, and the fact that we get to hang out with you on your drive to work and things like that, it really does mean the world. So if that is supposed to be a five-star review, you can go to Apple Podcasts and just hit all five. If not, hey. We'll still send you some cool stuff. We'll send you some stuff. You know what I mean? Again, reach out to us. Instagram, check the locks pod. Find us on Twitter, check the locks. If you're in our Facebook group, you can reach out there and let us know. And if you're not a social person, that is totally fine. Head over to checkthelockspod.com. Click that email button. Send us an email. Let us know where to send you some goodies. We'll get you some stickers, some buttons. We got some really cute stuff that we'd like to send out to you. So hit us up and let us know. And Olivia, if somebody wants to have their five-star review right on the podcast, what is the best way to do that? They need to hop on over to the Apple Podcast app. Go to our show's homepage. Scroll all the way down. Click all five stars. Make sure they're all solid purple. And then leave us a little bit of love and tell us what you think about the podcast. And that's right, folks. Every week, Olivia says it best, so I don't have to. But Apple Podcast, head over, click those stars, leave that review. If you need a cheat code, you can go into the description of this episode. There's a little link. It'll take you right there. I know we talk about this every week, but these reviews mean so much. They help us to get into other shows recommendations, which means it's easier for people to find us, which means our community gets to grow. We get to add more members to our family. And really, that's what we are trying to do is just get in front of as many listeners as we can. So. If you have left us one of those reviews, thank you so much for doing so from the bottom of our hearts. We appreciate it so much. And if not, what are you doing? Take the couple minutes, click the link in the show notes, take you right there. And as always, as we talked about in the beginning of the show, if you want to financially support Check the Locks, you can do so by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks to get signed up today. We got a lot of great tiers, exclusive t-shirts, coffee mugs, t-shirts, all sorts of stuff that you can only get from being a patron. Plus, you get the episodes ad-free and early. So if you like Check the Locks, but you hate commercials, Patreon is the best way to do that. So again, that's patreon.com forward slash check the locks. If you like what we do, you want to help us keep the lights on, maybe help Olivia get a new computer, we would greatly appreciate it. And of course, if you can't financially support Check the Locks, we definitely understand just listening and sharing the show with your friends and family means just as much, if not more. So if that is you, you're hanging out with us every week, 
you're sending out links. You're letting people know about this weird little podcast. Just know that we appreciate you so much. Again, just like those reviews, it's going to help us get in front of more listeners. It's going to help make it easier for people to find us, for our community and our family to grow. So if that's what you're doing, you're sending out those links. Just know we appreciate you more than we could ever put into words. That is all that we have for you for this week's case, but please make sure you are subscribed to check the locks in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. We will see you again next week with a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you next week.